Welcome everyone to Greencast. This is a podcast that brings practicality to being sustainable. Presented to you by the Waukesha County Green Team. Your hosts are myself, Alec Lapoidevin. And me, Laura Lauks. Welcome everyone to this episode of Greencast. My name is Alec Lapoidevin and I'll be hosting this episode with Melinda Myers as our guest. A little bit about Melinda. She is a nationally known gardening expert, TV and radio host, author, and columnist. She has over 30 years of horticulture experience and has written over 20 gardening books. A couple of them include a Minnesota and Wisconsin month-by-month gardening, a Midwest Gardener's Handbook, and a small space gardening. She hosts a nationally syndicated TV and radio program called Melinda's Garden Moments and has a great courses, How to Grow Anything DVD series. Melinda is also a columnist and contributing editor for Birds and Blooms and writes a column for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Melinda also hosted the Plant Doctor radio show on News Radio 620 WTMJ for over 20 years and has seven seasons of Great Lakes Gardener on PBS. Melinda has a master's degree in horticulture and was a horticulture instructor. She was recently inducted into the Association for Garden Communicators Hall of Fame. Melinda is a wealth of knowledge, and I really enjoyed sitting down with her in this episode. We have a lot of fun discussing gardening and the the ideas of sustainability within gardening. So join us for this episode, and thank you for tuning in to Greencast. Thank you, Melinda, for joining me on Greencast. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk a little bit about sustainability from your perspective. And uh, I know you are the like the gardening guru in the area. So uh, I'm, I'm part of the Master Gardener program myself, so I have heard your name several times, seen you on I don't know how many emails. And it's just a, it's really an honor that you were able to join us for this. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. I always love talking with fellow gardeners, people into sustainability, and reaching your audience as well. I think we need to work together to help make a difference, but also to help each other garden or be sustainable or just make those positive changes in our life. Yeah. And I, I appreciate everything that you do. I, I, I mean, it's a long list uh, that I, I couldn't go over everything in, in one little bit, but it's, it's really been cool to see a bit of, you know, kind of all your publications and that you've got a TV and radio program. And I, I did listen to an interview with you on, uh, is it Ken? Ken Drews? Oh, yeah. That was it, a while it, ago. Yeah. It was a while ago, but it was a really good one. And I know his name from the Joe Gardner podcast. Joe right. Lample does. Yeah. And uh, I, I love that podcast. And he comes on there a few times and, and was really cool to hear you talk with him. And you covered a couple of things that I'm interested about uh, from the gardening perspective and sustainability. So one of the the questions I'd like to ask is, when you think of sustainability and gardening, what kind of comes to mind and and what have you worked with and how has that maybe changed a little bit over the years? I I think of gardening and sustainability going hand in hand and probably when budgets were tighter and people were doing more backyard gardening, you know, as part of a way of life and then it became a hobby and I think we're really reevaluating it. But I look at it as using all the resources your landscape produces 
and finding ways to repurpose them back into the garden, whether it's the fall leaves, whether it's you do some trimming on your bushes and trees and you shred them and use them as mulch or use them as trellises or stakes or supports. Um, looking at just ways of keeping that good stuff on your property. One of my pet peeves was always people raking their leaves to the curb for the city to suck up and haul away. So we're paying to have them removed. Then it usually ends up in the storm sewer. So we have to pay the street and sewer people to clean out the storm sewer. Then we're paying a company to compost them and they put them in a bag and sell them back to us. This is just wrong. <laughs> and we could repurpose this on our own property. And I had a small city lot for many, many years. And it is more challenging when you have small space to find ways to repurpose, but you really can. And you can save money, save labor, actually. Think about raking leaves. You could mow them and shred them, bag them and use them as mulch or throw them in your compost or leave them on your lawn to decompose and add organic matter nutrients. So I just think sustainability and gardening go hand in hand. Done in the past, kind of forgotten. I think we kind of got too clean and tidy with our gardening. And now I think we're seeing a movement to go back to some of those old ways that really repurpose materials and improve the environment. Yeah, you hit on a lot of things that, that have really kind of fascinated me about, really, it's kind of human nature. And, you know, we, we've had this great system of producing food for ourselves in the past, you know, kind of our, our agrarian roots. And we really you know, utilized everything on the property. And you spoke a lot, kind of really got into more of a permaculture mode there where it's, you look what's on your property and how you can use it and repurpose it and all of this. And yeah, when I see those piles of leaves, I'm like, ooh, that's gold right there. That stuff is, you know, if I can come by and help them out and take it off their property, fantastic. Exactly. And uh, we talked briefly kind of in our, our beginning chat about mulch. Now, how, what types of mulch do you use? What do you, you know, what do you think of mulch in general? and uh, maybe kind of some tips and tricks on how that works for us. One of the things, again, when I lived in my small city lot, if I pulled annual weeds, those are ones that would die after they flower and set seed. If I pulled them before they flowered, I would use them as mulch under my shrubs, tuck them behind my bushes. Not the quiet grass, not those perennial weeds, but those annual weeds, as long as they haven't started to flower. A great way to repurpose your fall leaves. When I lived in the city, I don't know where all those leaves came from. I'd walk blocks and couldn't find the trees they came from. But I would use those as mulch. I would shred them with my mower. I had an electric mower with a bagger. I'd shred them up and I would just mulch my garden, suppress weeds, conserve moisture, break down and improve the soil. A friend of mine knows I'm always looking for mulch material and he's an arborist and he was helping a neighbor who didn't want those evergreen needles cluttering the soil under his trees. And he knows me and he goes, do you want them? And I'm like, you bet. So I mulched my orchard. So I had some spruce cones, some needles, you know, it doesn't make the soil too acidic. It's a wonderful mulch. And I help that person, just like you with the leaves. Oh, you could repurpose it in my landscape, <laughs> if not yours. Shredded bark and wood chips. Um, I worked for the city of Milwaukee for a while, and you know, when we were taking down trees because of problems, storm damage, or whatever, we would make wood chip mulch available 
for people to come and pick up. And it's a great mulch for your pathways, for your trees and shrubs. It's a great way to recycle that product so it doesn't end up in the landfill. And now I have a little more space, and so as I'm removing buckthorn and honeysuckle from the woods, unfortunately there's too much of it, I'm looking at using it for creating some wattle fences and some other ways I can repurpose it, as well as chip it up and shred it. Of course, making sure there are no berries that I'm planting back in the landscape. But that's such a great resource that we have available that we often overlook and we wanna remove it versus put it to work. Yeah, and that's what I love about, you know, really thinking sustainable practices within gardening. It's, it's closing a lot of these gaps in our system. And I, I think you're right. Like there's a lot of people that are, are seeing all this stuff around and, and using it. And I think gardening is just such a great way to utilize a lot of products that were considered waste products by one, but then, you know, from the gardening perspective, it's like, yeah, ooh, give me, yeah, I'll, I'll use it. So it's, it's really cool. I think gardeners are doing a great part of, you know, helping the, the bigger system become more sustainable. And I think, and I think gardening is either you're growing things to eat or you're growing things to be beautiful. And I think gardeners can help inspire others who may look at sustainability as inconvenient or messy. Um, you know, I know there are people that, because I use a lot of found materials for containers and trellises and and my organic materials as mulch and it can look very attractive but if you're used to an edged garden bed and bare soil mulch maybe isn't what people are used to or growing your grass taller three and a half inches tall you reduce a weed problem you have more drought tolerant grass if you leave the clippings it helps add nutrients on organic matter to the soil i remember when they banned uh, yard waste from the landfill back in the mid 80s i was working at extension and i met with a lawn mower company who wanted to meet with me as an extension agent and they had this recycling mower and a way to convert bagging mowers to recycling and he said i'm so glad we're on the same page and i said well i'm on the same page i've always been <laughs> so welcome <laughs> to my book because all of a sudden there was a reason to do that right we couldn't put it in the landfill and was going to cost us money and so now the technology followed but some of us were doing it ahead of time so i think part of it with sustainability being, building an interest. You know, a lot of people being concerned, I think we're gonna see products and techniques either reintroduced or more available to help us be more effective. Yeah, that's a really interesting topic to look at because I, I, there is this resurgence of old ideas. It's right. almost like we're looking back to history and, uh, you know, as a, an amateur student of history i know there's these cycles and we seem to be in this new cycle and it i think it'd be really cool if we start to combine our technological modern side of things with this past idea and you know i see a lot of communities popping up online where we're utilizing technology to start talking about different plants and different gardening and and this and that and well podcasts and right. ways to connect and and all of that so have you seen any you know cool combinations of technology and this this past history of you know kind of gardening and all of that 
Well, I, you know, one of, a couple things that come to mind, especially having been a small space gardener for about 26 years, um, I did a lot of container gardening. And I'm not sure how technical this is, but self-watering pots, you know, having that reservoir so you have to water less often. I met this cool rancher. It's not really a technology, but it's introducing a new way of thinking, a product called uh, Wild Valley Wool Pellets. And this was a rancher I met in Utah. I was at a conference and his story is his wife was mad at him because he wasn't watering her outdoor pots enough. And he says, well, I have white wool waste and wool absorbs moisture. So he shoved some in the pots and found it extended the period between watering. Then what he did is he worked with, which impressed me, Utah State University to find, have them do the research. So to make sure his, you know, his observation was correct. And they found he pelletized the wool waste. So instead of it going into the landfill, it's going into a usable product. And they found that it extended, it reduced watering by 25%. Plus it also added pore space. So, you know, some of those things that absorb moisture don't let it go. And then you have problems with drainage. And so that was a cool product. It's kind of taking new technology from a standpoint of looking at a waste product that we may have thrown in the landfill and revisiting it and looking at it. The other thing are LED lights, not so much outside, but we live in a cold climate and growing our own food year round can be challenging. And, you know, I try to raise as much as I can. I go to the local farmer's market, but you know, it's winter in Wisconsin. And so, um, Gardener Supply is somebody I do some work with, but they have a lot of cool new products that they keep introducing. And one is this um, revolutionary tomato container. It's a self-watering pot, but they've used it with a built-in LED light, and you can raise and lower it. So one of their ideas is you could start your tomato inside, then roll it out when it gets warm. But I've been growing greens for the last well, I guess it's been three months now, and harvesting in my shop, strictly under LED lights. You know, that's wow. technology. Yeah. But it's more energy efficient. LEDs have really come down in price. And I attended an LED light conference a couple years ago and a lot of people looking at agriculture. You know, how are we going to feed everybody? You know, the predictions of our population and food availability. And they were talking about traditional agriculture, also urban agriculture. So all of us growing whatever we can in our backyards, in our community gardens, that type of thing. And then also doing some indoor things. You know, there's big warehouses being converted, but I think as a home gardener, an apartment dweller, I think having some access to fresh herbs, maybe some greens throughout the winter with the help of a little LED lighting and a bright sunny window, really gonna expand our opportunities, I think, to bring again that new technology to gardening. And especially for those of us in cold climates. You know, if we wanna do it year round, we're gonna have to, enlist some other resources like artificial light. Yeah, that's a great point. And I've found with my LED light setup, the the setup was fairly low cost and I'm able yeah. to, I think I've got 150 plants started and they're doing great. I may have started them a little early because the tomatoes are starting to flower, the, the strawberries <laughs> flowering. I'm like, come on, we got to get warm temperatures. I got to get these outside. Uh, but yeah, having that, that setup allows you know, me here in Wisconsin to get them started and ready to go right in the garden. And I know I, I promote a lot of winter gardening ideas and how can we grow more food at home 
And, you know, looking at that sustainability big picture, when we shop outside, you know, there's this big food system that we're, we're within. And that's, you know, a lot of, uh, we don't have to get into the chemical side of things, right. but a lot of stuff that goes into these plants, a lot of um, energy, a lot of fuel consumption, a lot of, you know, damaging things. It's great. The food system's amazing. It is allowing a lot of people to get to get food. But I feel like there's, as this resurgence of ideas comes up, we're kind of finding we can supply some food more locally. And that's gotten a little more popular. But then as home gardeners, we really you know, get this opportunity to kind of do more. Right. And you talk about waiting for the warm weather, high tunnels um, used in the Dakotas. So they're harvesting tomatoes the time they'd normally be able to plant them out. I'm a huge, you know, cloches have been around forever and cold frames, but the modern versions are things that maybe have built in ventilation or I love floating row covers because no construction's required. You know, you plant, you just very loosely cover your plants, anchor it with whatever you have, rocks, you know, landscape wickets, whatever, boards. And as the plants grow, they provide the support. But I've been able to jumpstart my outdoor planting using those and walla waters. And the other reason I like the floating row covers, they're polypropylene spun fabric and they let air, light, and water through but trap heat, but they also keep the cabbage worms from laying their eggs on the plants. Japanese beetles from eating your beans. Beans don't need bees to be pollinated. Colorado State University has done really great research on organic methods of pest control. So of course I always look to the University of Wisconsin for their advice, but then I also check and see what they're doing there. And they found covering your squash uh, plants with the row cover, and then as soon as they need to be pollinated, remove it, and they reduce squash bug problems and squash vine borer problems by you know, keeping the plants covered until they were flowering. So anytime we can reduce the risk of pest in a non-chemical way, we're gonna have greater success, more food to eat and preserve, and better enjoyment. So we're more likely to garden next year as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I think a lot of people get thwarted with gardening and then they, they kind of throw up their hands and it, it, they, they give in right away. But uh, yeah, those are great tips and definitely ways, you know, there's so many cool ways to do this gardening deal without a lot of hassle and without using some of those harsh chemicals. Um, and, you know, I, I have to address one of my favorite additions to a garden being compost. Yes. And you know, so maybe you can give us a few tips on composting, but I know that's just such a great way for us to to chip in again to that bigger picture of sustainability and not sending the stuff out to these landfills. You bet. And compost has been around for centuries, and it's there's so many different ways to do it. Um, I have a lot of space now, and so I do a lot of trench composting. So I dig trenches and bury my food scraps and cover them up because I have the space to do it. And that's a way to feed the soil, and it works really well. A friend of mine, um, Ray Greiton, who's passed away years ago, taught me a system. I call it the Greiton method because that was his last name. But he would take a garden area and then hoe, to just hoe the garden soil just to create a bit of a raised bed, just three or four inches high. And even doing that improves drainage in the soil. Then his pathways were a little bit lower, and that's where he'd compost. He'd throw the outer leaves of lettuce that weren't any good, anything that was not disease or insect infested. And you know, you're walking across it, you're breaking it down, 
So it acted as a mulch, but it also was starting the compost pile process. In the fall, he'd take half of that raised bed and rake it over one side of the path, the other half over the other path. So his raised beds next year would be the path. The paths would then be his raised beds. So he's composted, rotated plantings, and, um, and so he's composted, rotated plantings, and improved the soil all in one fell swoop. So it's a great way, I think, for people with minimal space to be able to do that. Creating a lasagna garden or hugel culture garden, it's really just composting to build your raised beds. Now, if you live in a municipality, sometimes rodents can be a problem, and some municipalities do have restrictions. I love the dual bin composter. Um, I've done tumbler composters, but what I find gardeners do is they throw, you know, you just keep adding to it. Of course, that's how you compost. You know, your kitchen scraps, plant-based from dinner, you throw them in and you keep adding. So what happens is you keep adding fresh material and you never get totally done compost. Not that that's a problem, but I found it caused a frustration. The dual bin method or having two tumblers allows you to have one pile that you're stockpiling, you know, stockpiling that compost into one bin. And then your other bin, when it's full, you add some soil, you add some existing compost, a little fertilizer, moisture, start turning it. That's your active compost pile. You can do the same thing in an in-ground pile. Have one pile that you're just stockpiling, and one, if you want to have it fast, you know, you put eight to 10 inches of, you know, the green and brown stuff, the nitrogen-rich green things, the carbon-rich things like fall leaves, mix that up, little compost, little fertilizer, build your pile at least three by three, turn it occasionally, Talk about getting an added benefit. You'll get a great workout if you turn a compost <laughs> bottle, right? And uh, the more work you put into it, the faster you get compost. Put it in a pile, it'll eventually decompose. It'll just take longer if you do nothing. No fat, no meat, no bones. That's what's going to bring in the rodents. No quack grass, invasive plants, things that will take root and end up back in the garden. Avoid things that are insect or disease infested because most of us don't compost hot enough to kill them. But you mentioned the value of compost. So we're taking all this stuff that would end up going down the garbage disposal or into the landfill. We create compost and research has found not only does it improve drainage, not only does it help hold moisture in rocky sandy soils, but the plants grown in compost amended soil are more pest resistant. You get a lot of micronutrients that you don't always get from many of the fertilizers. So you're building your soil health. So that means you're gonna to need to feed your plants less often because your soil's gonna do the work for you. So not only is it improving drainage, it does all these good things for your plants. And it's recycling that, as you mentioned, right back into the garden. Yeah, wow, that was a lot of just awesome stuff. And I, I just, I, I nerd out about composting so much because of everything you just said. I mean, all these great benefits of it. Um, and I think, you know, the really important thing is that soil. Um, not dirt, everyone, as I knowingly correct people or inform them about, you know, dirt is dead soil. And yes. by, by increasing the soil health, like you said, yeah, those those micronutrients and great things that we're bringing into our plants, and then you know our our bodies too. So we eat these great plants, we get the health from that, and uh, the soil is actually what's sequestering carbon from the the atmosphere. So build that soil. We, we 
help the climate, we help our plants, we help ourselves. I mean, really, it's just like this full loop of why aren't we doing this more? And yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, you know, I guess I was going to ask you quick, you know, have, have you seen kind of a lot of changes in our food system? Have you, you know, you've been at this for a long time (laughs) (laughs) in a very, you know, professional manner. So it's, it's really cool. I'd be curious, have you seen some bigger changes in, in ways of doing this or in attitudes towards it? You bet. So I started my career in the late 70s and I worked with Extension. And in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a, a, a recession and people were concerned about budgets. And I saw a lot of people starting to garden in their front yard and containers and grow their own food, mainly to save money. And then the economy got better and a lot of those gardeners shifted over to flowers and kind of went, ah, I'll just buy my vegetables. But then we had some concerns about food safety, right? So we'd hear all the scares about the food in the grocery store and, you know, it wasn't safe to eat. So then some people were starting to go back to or start vegetable gardening. And then um, then I started seeing communities working together to raise food, some community orchards, you know, so it's not only vegetables, but raising fruit so that you have apples to bake with preserve and make jams and jellies and fruit crops that you maybe didn't have room to do in the city. And I know there are a couple of church groups in the Milwaukee area doing it. And I know Waukesha County has several community gardens as well. And so I think we started seeing that movement to urban agriculture in the 90s. Can we grow food in the cities, you know, those vacant lots? When I was an extension agent, we ran a large community garden program and an urban garden program. And one of the frustrations is you would get this lot where a house had been torn down, you build the soil, and then the city would sell it to have a house built onto it. So frustrating, because you know how long it takes to build good soil. So one of the cool things, right? So one of the nice things is we're seeing more of a movement, okay, you take this over, it's yours. You know, long-term leases so that we don't see that problem anymore. And now with the COVID-19 scare, I think a lot of people are concerned about food scarcity too. And so um, I, I'm seeing seed companies are sold out, garden centers that are providing curbside or uh, delivery or even are open because they provide essential food plants are seeing record numbers of people coming in. And so it's really exciting to see that we're seeing another uptick in that and an increased interest. And I think over, and so I think I think we're going to find that combination that works for us, and hopefully it stays with us. And I think partly it's all those issues. It's not just one thing. It's not just about saving money. It's about being sustainable. You know, your group is doing a great job of kind of getting that message out, and I think gardeners want to hear that and are doing, many are doing it. But I think it's a variety of reasons that we're raising our own food and a variety of reasons we're gardening now that I'm hoping this will last much longer and become more a part of our lifestyle than something else we have to do. You know, my grandma, my dad always had a garden in the backyard. My brother and I weren't allowed to go in the garden. I think that was his stress relief from work. And maybe that's how you get your kids to be gardeners is don't let them (laughs) in. I don't know. It worked for me. But my grandma always had a big garden. You know, she raised 11 kids and they lived out in the country. So that was part of her life was raising. And so when we'd visit, we'd pick beans and we'd, you know, prepare meals and we would help her with the canning because that was just a way of life. 
And I think maybe we're seeing some of that, more and more people fermenting food and more and more people preserving, whether it's freezing, drying, or canning. So I'm hoping that this is looking at part of our lifestyle, you know, that we're embracing that this is how we're going to get our food, use our food, and how we're going to treat our landscapes and our communities as well. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting note on the current times. And, it, and it's something I've been talking a lot about the food system and, and hey, you know, we're, we've got this food system that is a little precarious and there are some issues with it. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in the current situation with the pandemic and we, we are starting to panic a little bit. And, right. you know, I, I, been really like careful not to talk too much into it where I don't want it to be, you know, fear mongering by any means, but it's, no. you know, but it's, it is interesting. I found the same thing. A lot of the garden centers are, are getting busy. It's, you know, seeds are selling like crazy. Plants are really going quick, which is very cool to see people embracing this. I wish it could happen without a pandemic. <laughs> Um, but I, I do we need a kick in the pants. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I think like you, yeah, I, I really hope that it, it continues and that people find the enjoyment in it and the the health benefits not only from the food itself, but you're outside, you're you know, moving, you're interacting with community, you know, maybe you meet some neighbors because you're in your yard a bit more, and then you can share too. And you're you're helping your environments. It's it's all around good stuff. Yeah. And I believe once you've had a garden fresh tomato, you're never going back. I don't 100%. buy tomatoes in the winter because. And this is where some technology came in. I'm sorry, I'm just kind of going to jump back. Sure. I was at Gardener Supply headquarters in Burlington, Vermont, and they'd introduce these furniture grade LED lights, so you could have your seedlings or your house plants under lights in your living room in case you know whoever you share your house with isn't too keen on those old-fashioned <laughs> grow lights but they had a full-size tomato flowering and fruiting under these lights no natural light and I'm like wow. wow so that's on my list for this next winter is to get a tomato started and growing and see if I can enjoy that as much. But the nutritional level is better, the flavor is better. And you mentioned the exercise and fitness we get and research now is proving what gardeners have known all along. They've done a lot of research that that connection with nature, it's inherent. Like you said, we have a connection with nature from the very beginning and it elevates our mood. It reduces stress. Kids who are exposed to nature and gardening are exhibit less ADHD symptoms, are more focused. And so there's all these good things. And then you mentioned the social aspect that people often forget. You know, when I lived in the city, I'd be weeding my garden and it was a busy street and people would stop and ask questions. And they found that loneliness is one of the biggest causes of illness these days and depression. And that green spaces allow us to come together. And I keep thinking my profession, the horticulture profession, needs to embrace this. This is validating what we're all doing out there and helping people to do for themselves. And so you're right, gardeners love to share. So we all love to get out in the garden, but I think one of the frustrations right now is it's a little harder to share. You know, here's some extra plants, here's some seeds, 
friend of mine started a blog. She's a horticulturist and a gardener, a blog in her neighborhood to do some seed swapping, you know, instead of the little library that you can share books, you know, have your seeds, extra seeds out there and share with each oh, wow. other. That's yeah, awesome. Isn't that a cool idea? And I thought, wow, that's really great. And another friend of mine bought a couple of those revolutionary tomato towers with the LED lights, one for her mom, one for her sisters in Colorado, her mom's in Green Bay, she's here in Muskego, because they're missing each other and they love gardening and they usually would get together to do some planting. So this way they're gonna do it virtually and long distance, but can share, oh, how's your green, how are your greens doing? Hey, did you harvest any radishes? And so trying to take advantage of this and put that new technology to work in that virtual, you know, way we're kind of keeping in touch with each other to work. And so I think there are some of those fun things that hopefully people will embrace. The Arthritis Foundation says gardening is good for you. So if, you know, some of your listeners are thinking my joints hurt, <laughs> I have some arthritis too. And I find once I get moving, I'm a lot better off. It's that mm -hmm. sitting at my computer that I end up achy and cranky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so many questions. Uh, I, you know, to go down those paths, but yeah, oh, yeah, it's really cool to see. Yeah, it's really cool to see people embracing that that um, the information that's coming out of this and the data and the you know the the like you said the things that gardeners have known for ages is just starting to be really I hate to say proven, but it does it sometimes is. take you know okay. science and technology to be like yes they were right you know this is <laughs> this is good. Exactly. Um, so it's it's great to hear that that's that's coming out. Um, but yeah, okay. I've, I, I'm trying not to go down the rabbit hole too deep here. Well, but... and I'm taking you there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I do have to ask, uh, you know, kind of how I got connected with you was, you know, we were looking into Malorganite and it took me down this path of people and everything. And then all of a sudden I got a call that, uh, you would be interested in jumping on. And first off I had to pause and just be like, wait, did, really? And, um, you know, and then it, of course this all came about and I really just would like to ask kind of what's your history with Malorganite and you know, could you tell us a little bit about it? It just seems to be a great process in sustainability as far as taking a literal waste product and turning it into a great garden product. You bet. I was always a fan of Malorganite. I'm originally from Ohio, but when I moved to Milwaukee, you know, I'd hear about Malorganite. My buddy Ray Greiton was a big fan and I started using it. I do a lot of, did a lot of containers and, you know, I'm always working my soil and it's a great addition that way. And then when um, I left my jobs as an, a teacher at Milwaukee Area Technical College, started my company, it opened up some doors for working a little more collaboratively with them. And I approached them and said, I love your product and I'd love to help get the word out. And what I like about it is they've been around for nearly 100 years. And it's all, I know, isn't that amazing? I love to share that fact with people <laughs> because a lot of people go, oh, my dad used to put it on the lawn, you know, or they know it from some other way, but not that it's been around 100 years. They really were trendsetters. The system they use to remove the solids from the wastewater is pretty amazing. Um, there's a great video on there, but basically they use microbes to digest the solids. And then those microbes die. And then they take the water out of that slurry that sinks to the bottom. They run it through and then they kiln dry it at a 
it keep the internal level of that to like 175, 185 degrees. So they kill the pathogens, they pelletize it, so you apply it just like you would another fertilizer. It has a nice earthy smell, but if you really smell something that stinks, it's probably not malorganite because some of the biosolids, it's a biosolid, so um, it's the byproduct of the wastewater. Um, some of them aren't managed the same way. This is a very expensive process, so a lot of municipalities have not set up a process like this. Um, they're not held to the higher standard. And so they test daily to make sure it's safe. And one of the things is it's, malorganite's not done for profit. It's a way to manage that waste product. So that's why they really take human health and safety is very important. So Milwaukee Metro Sewage District is really the one that manages it because it's the byproduct and they're just trying to keep that out of the landfill and put it into gardens where it's helpful. It contains 85% organic matter. So when we were talking compost, you're feeding the soil. It's low nitrogen and slow release. So I never recommend over fertilizing, but if you have a oops moment, you're not going to kill anything. It has iron in there, so it helps with greening. The phosphorus is non-leaching, so we don't have to worry about it in terms of a pollution attitude. And I use it on everything. Now, I know some people choose not to use biosolids on their food crops. And one of the reasons we garden is we get to choose. I use it on everything because then I don't have to decide what fertilizer to use. I always buy it when there's a big sale. I have it stored in my shed in my garage, so I have you know plenty available when I need it. And I've just found it it works great. I fertilize, you know, it depends on your soil. Soil test is a good place to start, but it it's goof proof. And I find gardeners, if you go down the fertilizer aisle, it's overwhelming. Do I need this one? Do I need that one? What about this one? And you can just pick this up for, every, for all your needs, if that's the route you want to go. But I like it because it is sustainable. You know, here's a product that could be a problem, the byproduct of our wastewater. The other thing, and I lived in Milwaukee, drank the city water for probably about 30 years. They're doing a lot to make sure what goes into the water and the system is safe. You know, they do um, clean sweeps to get all the toxins to be recycled properly. A lot of work saying, don't flush your pre prescriptions down the toilet. I still hear that in other place, you know, other media, but don't do that. They'll collect those or they work with local police stations to encourage people to do it. Really trying to educate people because I think one of the other problems we have there's a big disconnection from when you turn on the tap water and where that water came from, you know. I remember living in the city and someone, I'd see neighbors sweeping debris into the storm sewer. And I'm like, do you know where that's going? That's going in the KK River, that's going into, and eventually the water we're gonna drink. So good awareness on being careful about our water quality. So that's the other reason I really like working with them. They've um, started a program called Fresh Coast Guardians to encourage people in Southeast Wisconsin to be careful with their water quality. And whether you're gardening or maintaining a landscape, to do things that are gonna be positive on the environment and not have a negative impact on our water quality. So way more information than you want. <laughs> but um, all the information's on the bag and their website, and I've done some videos with them as well as Joe Lample's done some and a couple of other people to just kind of help you take care of your landscape. And if you use Malorganite, how to use it properly. 
that is i mean now i love the product even more so <laughs> I, i'm i'm sold um, oh, i do have some bags in in a storage <laughs> shed that, you know, that are yeah yep, they're uh they're gonna be used this year i'm trying to do more of an organic uh lawn treatment for my parents property uh try to convince them a little bit away from the traditional chemical route that we've been we've been going down and Morgan, it's just a great yeah, like you said, uh, what did you call it? Uh, oops proof or yeah, goof proof. Yeah. Goof proof. There we go. Right. That that's that should be on the bag. It's just it, you can it spill it and you're good and yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much research, and they do work with UW Madison, but there's so much research that proper fertilization on your lawn can greatly reduce your weeds. And we're not talking every six weeks, you know, a good fall mm. fertilization. If you want to beef it up one around Memorial Day, but really more drought tolerant, um, you're gonna have more pest resistance. And the benefit of a slow release of low nitrogen is you get up um, top growth and root growth equally. Mm -hmm. So you don't have all this lush succulent growth and a poor root system. And hopefully your parents will see some of the benefits. One of, the, one of my former students who works there was telling the story her neighbor would have this, you know, he's very meticulous with his lawn and she'd always use malorganite. She's got kids and he was like, what's your secret? Your lawn looks better than mine. She goes, malorganite. And he didn't believe her. And then one day she saw him pulling into his garage, unloading the malorganite. <laughs> I'll admit that she was right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. And I, I remember we had a customer... This was when I was doing landscaping and we'd mow his lawn in spring. We had to mow it four times in one go because he used malorganite and it was so thick. Like I just wanted to go lay down and take a nap. It was just, it was the most beautiful lawn I've seen. No chemicals, just malorganite. Fantastic looking. Yeah. That, that's cool. Um, and I know malorganite was, uh, I forget who I spoke with, but they, offer some tours, uh, you know, so we might bring our board members out there from the Washoe County Green Team and just do a tour so that we can, you know, inform the community a bit more about this great place. You know, and it's right in our backyard. And I think we often overlook those things that are local. You know, they've received lots of recognition nationally for what they do. And we sometimes take for granted because it's there. Oh, it's Milwaukee, it's a Malorganite, no big deal. But, um, you know, sometimes what's in our own backyard is pretty impressive. Very true. That's fantastic. And that's a big goal of this podcast. Like we want to let people know what's going on in this area. And we've got some great things happening in the community. Um, and again, I'd, I'd like to be respectful of your time. So many questions I'd like to go down, but one I, I really would like to, to ask for our, our listeners is, you know, do you have any, you've, you've given us a lot of great tips on sustainability, but do you have any off the top of your head or something you'd really like to talk about for actionable steps for the community to kind of look at and, and consider? You know, I think the first thing is sometimes when you take on gardening and sustainability, it's a huge issue. And I think sometimes we stall people by, oh, it's too much. I can't do it. I always loved Bill Nye, the science guy. When my daughter was little, he'd talk about the big issues and then here's what you could do in your house, you know, in your backyard. And I think sometimes we need to break some of this down. So one step at a time, you know, when I talk to a new gardener, he start small and build on your success. So when we're talking sustainability, gardens need water. We get a lot of rain sometimes, and then we have our drought periods. How about taking one of those downspouts and attaching a rain barrel? using that water, taking a five gallon bucket to keep in your bathroom. And when you're doing running the water to warm up, 
collect that water, use it on your house plants or your containers. Think about those little changes of habit that you can do that can make a big difference. You know, maybe it's a list, maybe it's listening to this one, oh, I'm, I'm gonna try composting, or oh, I don't really have room, maybe I'll do a worm bin. You know, that's a fun project for the whole family. So, I, you know, one of the things, and then Fresh Coast Gardens, I mentioned, and MMSD, Milwaukee Metro Sewage District, has a great uh, brochure called Rain Check, and it's about all the things you can do in your house and in your landscape to reduce flooding in your basement, flooding in the community. And, you know, so you can go through that and make notes and go, oh, yeah, the grade is going down to my basement. No wonder it's flooding. Let's just add some soil and change that. Maybe it's putting a, a you know, a rain barrel. Maybe you want to do a rain garden, you know, take it that next step. But I find sometimes we try to do too much at once, we get discouraged. And so I think breaking it down to little pieces, you know, and trying to make it more manageable. And that's where if you've never gardened and you don't have space, a few pots can make a big difference. Grow a tomato, grow some peppers, grow some greens, grow your favorite, you know, ingredients. Maybe it's starting a small garden alongside your garage and that you're going to be amazed at how much you can raise in a very small spot or rent a community garden plot. There's always going to be experts around that are going to help you because gardeners love to share. Yes, that is absolutely true. <laughs> and those are great tips. And uh, yeah, this is definitely something that anyone can go out and just try a little bit. You're going to get hooked. I promise. It's yeah. it's a slippery slope when you start getting into it. <laughs> then you got you bring it home dozens of plants in the spring, and you're growing your own, and uh, you're just having fun with it. But um, well, Melinda, I really appreciate your time in this, and I'd like to see is there anything else that you'd like to mention? Any upcoming events or things you would like to direct people towards checking out? You know what? Check out my website, melindamyers.com. Um, we will be posting. I'm hoping to do some virtual classes soon. So I need to master technology as opposed to have the expert like you on the other end. <laughs> Sorry for my cat who needs to be fed, apparently. But um, so check that out. And when things open up, um, I'll be back on the road chatting. And I'm doing Instagram now. I'm trying to do all kinds of ways to keep in touch with gardeners. And we do take questions. I'm outnumbered, so be patient. But um, just, you know, keep in touch. I learn so much every time I talk to somebody about gardening and sustainability. And I think my job is to learn as much as I can and pass on what I learn along the way and I learn from others. So I love, it's been great talking with you. Um, I'm excited for what the green team is doing and this podcast is going to help lots of people and make some good differences I think in our community and gardeners as well. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And everyone that's listening, I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, thank you again, Melinda. And anyone that's interested in checking out the Waukesha County Green Team, check out our, our website at waukeshacountygreenteam.org. We also have a Facebook post, uh, Facebook page rather, for this podcast. So please jump on there, ask questions, join the conversation. I will be posting some show notes with uh, a lot of the things that Melinda and I talked about. And yeah, remember, you know, when you're, when you're looking at this big picture sustainability, the little things, you know, really count. And it, it's really an empowering way to take part in the sustainable movement. So any little thing that you can do to get out there and do something different, try it out, see how it goes, share it with the neighborhood, share it with us. And yeah, we'd love to help you along the way. So thank you all for joining us and 
We'll see you next time. Make sure to check out Greencast on Facebook, where we post the most up-to-date information, release episodes, provide a lot more resources about things you heard on the show, and have conversations about episodes and sustainability in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and beyond. Also, if you're interested in the Waukesha County Green Team, please check out our website and Facebook page and come to one of our board meetings. They're always open to the public. Greencast is produced through the Waukesha County Green Team by Alec Lapoitovin and Laura Laux, with help from Stacey Balsley. Our theme music is by Dan Krill and Emma Kopel. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sustainability starts with all of us.